Hello and welcome to the Design Slate, the podcast that brings together design experts and leaders from the world of higher education to talk trends, current affairs, and the future. Brought to you by Progressive AE. Now, here's the show. Hello and welcome to the episode of Design Slate, the podcast from Progressive AE that brings design and higher education professionals together to discuss what's going on in higher education. And I'm your host, Todd Stevens. Today, we'll be discussing the topic of design and, of all things, anthropology. As my special guest today, I have uh, Daniel Maldonado. Uh, Daniel has uh, both his bachelor's degree and master's of art in applied anthropology from San Jose State University. Due to his own experiences and curiosities as a first-generation college student, he centered his research projects on health-seeking behaviors and self-care practices of Mexican-Americans, as well as two other equally important categories that he conducted in his research, including social economics and the access to health care. We wanted to have him today to share his thoughts on his observations, insights around anthropology, and their applications with the built environment. And I just wanted to welcome you. Hello, Daniel. Hello. Uh, thanks for having me on and, and, and picking my brain a bit on anthropology. Anthropology is not very easy to talk about. Yeah. Um, and even though I've immersed myself in it for the last five years as a student, I still find myself struggling sometimes to really explain what it is anthropology is, why I chose to study it, and what I plan to do with it. It certainly conjures up like images of Egypt and digging through, you know, the sand and like, you know, look, looking for stuff and uh, doing that kind of search. It's um, a little bit more uh, uh, different with applied psychology or anthropology, I think, right? Yeah, that's definitely one part of the history of anthropology. Um, it has its four different subfields or four disciplines, I guess, if you want to refer to them. Um, archaeology, which is what most people think about when they think about anthropology, cultural anthropology, which is my interest. Mm-hmm. Um, there are anthropologists who study linguistics. Then there are anthropologists who, anthropologists who look at more of the biology right, of humans and kind of more interested in the evolution of man, um, physical anthropology. And so a combination of all four is what people are accustomed to, right? They, uh, uh, yeah. It's certainly a much broader topic for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's why it makes it difficult sometimes to kind of hone in on what career paths to take yeah. with anthropology. Um, so it's interesting that, you're, that your show is about design and that's where your interest lies because there is a big contingent of anthropologists who work in the world of design. Mm-hmm. So uh, can you talk to me about your research that you did and uh, what you conducted in school? Sure. Um, so I shared a story with people when I talk about my research project first. Um, I was maybe six years old or so, and I was climbing a tree. Can't remember why I was climbing this tree. Six-year-old boys is what they do, apparently. <laughs> when I fell off, another thing kids do. I fell off the tree, and in doing so, I put my arms out naturally to try to catch my fall. And in doing that, my elbow, my right elbow popped out. Right. It didn't like it didn't rip through the skin, but it was dislocated. Yeah. My mom at the time um, was fairly young, maybe in her early 20s, um, recent immigrant into the US. And she the very first thing she did was took me to a healer. So it was this lady in, a, in an apartment complex who 
was a traditional healer in a sense. And um, I remember when she wrapped my arm with eucalyptus, eucalyptus leaves, yeah. salt, like thick grains of salt and like bandage. And that was her cure. Um, and after two, two days or so of having nothing but an itchy arm from the salt and the leaves, and it's still a dislocated elbow, my mom finally took me to see a doctor. Uh, I'm sorry, not a doctor, but a, um, another form of healer, more of a chiropractor, but that works out of his garage mm-hmm. in this case. So he looks at my elbow, um, uh, kind of looks at it for a couple of minutes, feels around, explains to me what he's going to do, that he's going to pull my arm from my wrist, and at the same time, he's going to pop my elbow back into place with this other hand. Now, I'm six years old, and I'm thinking, what am I doing here? And in the time after he explained it, he just did it. Right? He, wasn't, he didn't want me to brace myself. He just wanted to surprise me. Sure. He pops my elbow back into place. I start crying, naturally. My mom hands over, uh, I think it was like a $20 bill or something, because I remember instinctively how the man says, I don't charge for my services but I will take a $20 donation. And, and so now as an adult, as I'm trying to figure out what, what's my research project going to be, right? I'm trying to find an, a problem, some, somewhere where I can apply anthropology, right? And that's the difference sometimes between academics and anthropology and applied yeah. anthropologists, right? Is trying to find these, these issues or, or, or problem and try to use anthropology, uh, anthropological methods of research and apply them to something. So I'm trying to find something my master's program, and I remembered of this one moment. And I thought to myself, why would my mother not take me to see a doctor, right? The way you, you would think that any other mom would do. So I started asking questions about that. I was like, okay, well, who was my mom at the time? Well, she was about 23. She was new to the country. Um, she went to, see, to seek the help of these traditional healers. Is that something that she grew up doing herself? Is that something that maybe she watched my grandmother do? Um, and I was an adult, I go back and I ask her mom, so why did you do this, right? And she was like, I was young, I was new to the country, this is what I grew up on. And so I thought she shared a story of her shoulder being dislocated when she was a kid and going to see one of these these healers um, yeah. working out of their home. So it was a part of her cultural upbringing and it's something she found a community of people who were also practicing that here and naturally that's what she did right um so i started think i started i started asking myself how many more students who self-identify the way i did right first generation college students first generation americans who have similar stories and i went off into the university and i started talking to students and trying to find out if anybody shared anything similar um so that's pretty much the beginning of my research project and why I dove into that topic. And, and did you find other people that had very similar experiences? Experiences with forms of uh, medicine and self, uh, self-care treatments and practices around what they would consider traditional healing, which is for the most part, students were talking about teas, a lot about drinking herbal teas um, and about using Vicks, um, to rub on almost everything and anything. And so students who self-identified as Latino or, or Chicano or whatnot tended to talk more about their self-care practices in terms of they tied culture into it, where mm-hmm. other students didn't at all. They they were like, I grew up going to see a doctor at Kaiser. It's what I know and that's what I still do. 
Um, that's not to say that other students who were Latino didn't also grow up using those services, but they had this additional story of, yeah, I go see these natural healers or my grandmother practice herbal teas or, or whatever is the case. And so I did see those similarities and differences. I know the Mexican heritage, um, going to the doctor is almost a family-centric uh, activity. Um, in fact, I know when you're designing spaces for uh, healing in Mexico, that it needs to accommodate a couple or three people in addition to the doctor. It's more of a family kind of dynamic that happens, which seems aligned with some of the things that you might find in healthcare, for sure. It's kind of an interesting world, for sure, to see those dynamics happening and play out in real time. So uh, the, the research you, you conducted specifically began to look at cultural things that were happening with, around um, uh, healthcare? Is that the, kind of the main thesis of it? Uh, so that's where some of my interests, uh, so this San Jose State had just constructed a brand new um, student health center. It's like four or five stories. And in the same building is where you would go to find, not only they had a small pharmacy on the first floor, yeah. um, they also had, that's where you would find some mental health services. Um, just any number of, of services that had to do with health and students on campus. So I was interested in finding out who were the students that were using it, who were the students that were not. The intention was to go back to the student health center and have and present to them um, perhaps stories of who are the students who use the services, who don't. These are the reasons why. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was my, the applied aspect, right? It's like, well, what, I'm, I'm taking this research and I'm going to put into a presentation my client in this case. Mm-hmm. Um, or my partner would have been the, the, the student health center, but on a more, you know, to generate knowledge or anthropology was to look into um, how culture played into why students sought health services at the student health center, or for instance, um, what we were talking about, say the Kaiser versus a more traditional um, path or method. And so it was intertwining those two together but I also had to look at it in context. I had to put it in context and be okay, what's 2019 or 20, uh, 2017 at the time? What yep. was happening around healthcare at the time? Um, with the advent of, um, was it the, um, I forgot how it was called, what? I, 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 or the, uh, what, what President Obama had, uh, yeah. had implemented. Obamacare, yeah, yeah. Yes, and so suddenly all these students I shouldn't say suddenly, but a lot of students or a lot of a lot of people within a certain age group had now the ability to go see a doctor, right? Or had had access to this, and um, so I had to put that into context. Who had that? Who didn't? I had to think about the history of of how medicine is practiced in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and particular in in communities that are Hispanic, that are Latino. Um, so that's what anthropology does, right? It takes history. And it takes this current content and puts it into context to really try and frame the research, the work that I was looking into. Um, it wasn't just looking at behavior for the sake of looking at behavior. It's looking at everything broadly and around that could be shaping this behavior. Are you looking to solve a problem or just to identify a problem? And so there are two different types of research. One in which you want to identify a problem one, for instance, um, in design product, when you have a product and you want to research on the product, I still didn't know that there was a problem. And in the end, I probably, if I had to say, 
because I never actually got to report this to the student health center, the person who I had partnered with um, had left. By the time I had finished my research project three years later, she no longer was with the school, so I, I had no audience. Uh-huh. And the student health center from the very beginning didn't want to partner with me because there were issues with HIPAA. Um, even though I wasn't asking questions that were getting too personal, yeah. they didn't want to be involved with anything that was asking questions about the health of our students, right? Even though it was just questions about how, when was the last time you got sick or, or felt ill and what did you do? But it was enough for them to kind of keep me at an arm's length. So the one person who was technically my partner was no longer there and so I, I, I lost my audience. Uh. But what I was gonna try and present is that uh, their hours don't coincide with a good group of students who could use the services, right? They close at five o'clock. San Jose State, um, is what they refer to as a commuter school. Yeah. So there's a large portion of students who live outside of campus who could easily depend on these uh, access to these services who now can't. Um, if they hadn't signed up for Obamacare or hadn't signed up for any of those services, um, they were probably depending on their parents or were just not insured at all. And so having access to this at school, especially because their tuition was paying for these services yeah, and yeah, to yeah. not have access to them, was a shame. Um, so in this sense, I had to first find, is there really a problem? Are students not using these services? Um, and if there is the issue, what is it? And how can I try and advise the student health center to take steps? Or at the very least, just consider taking steps. Um, yeah. So you did find that they weren't, weren't using the center, at least to the full extent that they uh, had the ability to. Yeah, but for various reasons. In yeah. some cases, um, because the school's in, right in downtown San Jose, parking is always an issue. Um, a lot of the students that I spoke to had one to two part-time jobs while being full-time students. So time was a factor. Um, for those who had grown up having access to medical services as kids, they talked about going to Kaiser or whatnot and having no problem talking to doctors, jumping online, I mean, this, that platform has really grown. San Jose State doesn't have anything similar like that. So their website's a little, eh, could use some updating. And so those little things could change as to everybody having access to the services. So uh, on campuses today, um, diversity inclusion is one of the like, major initiatives. It's almost in every university's mission statement. And it seems to me that some of these insights that you're talking about directly apply, you know, not oftentimes it's a, um, a, a LBGQ, um, you know, department way over there on that side of the campus and they check the bark, uh, box of inclusivity, but things like this about the medical care or the fact that the international students are here on the campus and in fact, you know, they really don't like breakfast because of, you know, their cultural upbringing doesn't have like a lot of sugar in it, you know? And so all of those kind of uh, ways to make somebody feel included um, are missteps a lot of the time. And I think some of the uh, insights that you bring to, you know, the table could help for sure. The kind of the, the nature of inclusivity on, on any campus, just from, from those cultural kind of aspects. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I would like for this study, and I was hoping that my advisor would continue so I had, um, I don't know if I had the luxury, but he created, my advisor, my academic advisor created a, a whole entire course 
around mm -hmm. my research project. So for two semesters straight, I had 30, 40 undergraduate students collecting information and data for, yeah. for a year. Yeah. So it, by the end of this, I had, I think, over 130 or 140 interviews that I, I had to now read and go through and, and try to write a report around. Um, so, but this was hyper-focused, right? It was on students who identified as such and students who did not. Um, that leaves it open to, to anything. So I would have loved for this project to continue. I hope that some graduate student continues with it because I can see a longitudinal study and really seeing, because the Student Health Center, I think at that time was only two years old or so. So yeah. now that they've had more, I don't know if maybe more resources have been brought in, so maybe they can extend the hours. Uh, maybe they've been able to bring more uh, doctors in and, and health professionals to, to see students. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to see those aspects that you spoke about extending it to, this is San Jose State, especially being in the Bay Area, it's just yeah, yeah. really diverse. And, and we have a lot of international students. I would have loved to have been in, talk to them, interview them, their take um, on the student health services and, and how culture plays into their seeking, uh, their health seeking behavior. So it's, you know, I, it was a two year program. It took me three years to finish it, but I would have loved for it to continue just because there was so much more you can do with it. And yeah, it sounds that's the yeah. beauty about this kind of research is that you build on something, right? And you take what somebody has already done, you take the insights and you think, oh, okay, I like it, but I'm going to add to this conversation here. Maybe this is one aspect that he overlooked. I'm going to look into that. So, Yeah, in school, one of my main theses um, revolved around artifacts, uh, man-made things, right? And how we use them uh, to adapt and anticipate and negotiate our world. And I was really excited to actually formally use some of like the observation tools professionally that I think you would be using while conducting some primary research for a library I was designing. It was just amazing just to have the luxury to just sit and watch the actions of the students. And like, I don't know, a student would put their phone down as they, at their computer and walk to go pick up a print or do something else to get a book or whatever. And that intricate balance of between the privacy and the ownership of that space and the implication of that little phone where, you know, you couldn't do that at another campus, but here it was, you know, a part of the kind of the kind of the trust system that is already embedded. Right. And certainly something, you know, you start to kind of acknowledge uh, you, you, that you don't see these things. If you don't, you know, don't have time to kind of look for them, you just, it's just what, you know, it's just everyday kind of actions. And so it's kind of fun to see and gather insights from those and begin to start to design around them. Like we would see cafe tables, you know, tall cafe tables that were kind of small and uh, people would just sit alone at those cafe tables because they would put their book bag on the chair next to them. Um, but when we lowered the table and made them a little wider, they would put their book bag on the floor and a couple of computer stations could, you know, like you flip up your laptops and work together in collaboration. And, you know, it lowered that threshold and really kind of began to kind of uh, have that ability to work together and foster collaboration. And so, you know, at the end game is we were trying to get this collaboration to happen. And then those little small little details of watching somebody put a book bag on a, on a chair and losing a chair was one of those kind of really kind of aha moments, you know, as you, um, as you're, as a designer and never would have got that without having the kind of the, the pause and just to be able to look at something critically, you know? 
Yeah, so, that's awesome. That's really great. I remember taking a course uh, in design. It was, it was short lived. It was one book that we that we studied, and I remember thinking like, wow, this is just definitely something that I I'd love to continue to uh, learn more about. So it's, it's funny that you mentioned that. That's really cool. Um, I know as which. Now brings apart. I know very little about what it is that you do. But as... I do. <laughs> I um, I'm the learning practice leader for Progressive AE, and my job is really to kind of help our team align with our clients and what they're trying to do. I've been working in higher education for I don't know the last 20 years or so, and so um, um, working with the facility team, or working with a professor, or working with the president of a university, and aligning all those forces together to create the um, architecture, you know, that kind of meets the needs of everybody. And so that's my, my main goal is just kind of, and I've been in it for so long, it's just kind of fun to see these things all kind of collide, you know, like anthropology was something I would never expect uh, to be a part of a conversation in architecture, but it's got such resonance in it. Um, I'd love to get an anthropologist sitting next to us as we are designing. That would be an awesome kind of uh, ability. Uh, if you do ever have that opportunity, um, keep in mind that they're probably going to be also observing you guys and, <laughs> and, and so your dynamic. Uh, so that's definitely, you know, sometimes to understand who this organization is and how they operate and if they're having issues with design and whatnot. So it's, so it's terrible. You could get studied. Yeah, probably we need to be. Well, like what kind of tools are you using? Are you just sitting and observing like that example I said, or um, uh, conducting like uh, surveys? What's your uh, scientific method, if you will, of collecting data? So for my project, it was heavily, um, it was, it was around interviewing, interviewing students. So mm -hmm. I had to go find students. I found myself um, going through every school on campus, talking with the directors, asking them or the chairs, asking them if I could uh, speak to the staff and try to get to students. Um, so I found myself in front of classrooms um, with flyers. Every, every professor would give me a couple of minutes. I present myself, present my project and try to recruit students and hand out flyers with my information, hoping that they could contact me. We'd pick a time on campus and we'd go from there. I'd sit there and I'd have a list of, of interview questions. Um, in that moment is where I got to really interact with them in that space. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't ask, necessarily ask questions as to why they chose this space, but um, in some cases it was just because at that time of the day, this part of campus was quiet. Um, in some cases, they chose student success centers where they would be hanging out all the time anyhow, and they were closely tied to identity. In this case, San Jose State has a Chicano Latino Student Success Center. Sure. Um, it's well, a space. Specifically. Specifically. Yes, specifically. Wow. And yeah. so students talked about that space as a space for them to not only feel um, that they're amongst their own peers, in, in essence, but it was specifically Chicano Latino, right? And mm -hmm. um, so I didn't really dive into that early on when I was first creating or designing my research, I was interested in that. I wanted to look at space because students, students are an interesting bunch. I mean, they take any space and make it theirs. And it's always, it was interesting to me to see which kid had a hammock between two trees, yeah. what other students uh, were playing Frisbee on this part of the grass and it was theirs and they overtook it. And 
they have no problem taking over space. I mean, I don't, you know, in college, I'm sure you see students yeah. taking yeah. naps, right? They get very comfortable. They're in front of their phones. It's hard work. They, <laughs> and so, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating. And there are students in our program who did look at some of the, uh, some aspect of health and space. Um, and they collaborated with other departments within the university. That's another aspect about applied anthropology is that collaboration with yeah. disciplines outside of anthropology. Um, I would have loved to have worked with those guys as well. Public health department would have been awesome. It sounds like the, I mean, while healthcare was kind of the major thrust of it, it sounds like you tap, tapped into uh, ethnicity, inclusion, were certainly part of the topics. And in today's landscape, I mean, it seems that it's just a ripe conversation that's happening, you know, everywhere. Yeah, so, no, absolutely. For me, I'm like really excited to leverage some of these ideas at the early stages of our work, you know, to start to understand the culture of the campus and leveraging, you know, the discipline of anthropology to gather the why, you know, I think that that's something that's uh, interesting. The why happens at multiple levels. I mean, it's at the, the, the user level, the organization, the community level, even, a, you know, the level of a university. I don't think I really know where to start, but it's, it's a kind of a tool that I don't think a lot of architects are um, thinking about or talking about for sure. Yeah, sometimes, yeah, sometimes research is just that, right? It's just going in there and taking a look, hanging out. Anthropologists like to describe the discipline as just deep hanging out, right? We're just <laughs> hanging out with people, right? And you're asking questions. Um, anthropologists do tend to, they have to, they don't just walk into a space and, and, and maintain distance, right? They become a part of it. They'll sit down in the same chairs with people. They'll talk to people. They'll ask questions. Uh, if, they ha if they're following somebody around campus, for instance, for, say, two hours, asking them questions about what they're doing, where they're going, how they're doing it, what, why it's important, whatnot, and take part of it while also maintaining enough distance to be able to be reflecting on, on what their thoughts and writing notes or whatnot. So they call it this deep just hanging out. Um, and so it makes it fun. And if you already naturally want to just observe people, now you have the opportunity to maybe interact with a little bit more or, you know, maybe you sit down on these chairs and be like, yeah, these are too low. Oh, they're too tall. They're, you know, so it's, it's fun in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to thank you for joining me today to talk about this. I really appreciate your insights and uh, taking the time to talk uh, with, you know, the podcast and, I want to thank everybody here for listening. I'll see you guys next time on the design slate. So thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to this episode of the design slate brought to you by progressive AE. Be sure to subscribe so we can keep bringing you great content. Visit learning.progressiveae.com for more information.